This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, May 16th, 2023. I'm Caleb Brown. There is a growing shortage of medical practitioners to provide care for the United States, which we should note is an aging country, and the medical profession itself is moving too slowly to address it. Cato's Jeff Singer suggests that more states ought to be more like Missouri and a few others and allow so-called assistant physicians to have a more prominent role. Singer explains how it works. Let's start with a bit of taxonomy here. Uh, assistant physician, not the same thing as physician's assistant. Correct. Uh, assistant physician is a category or a term that was developed a few years ago by people in the policy world. Some people also refer to it as associate physician. And basically, uh, it's an apprentice physician. Uh, up until the early 20th century, the most common way to prepare uh doctors for medical practice after they graduate medical school is they'd be an apprentice with a practicing physician for a while, and then they'd go out on their own when they were felt ready. Um, what's been going on now is uh, as more and more people are becoming aware, there's a growing shortage of healthcare practitioners to provide primary care services to a growing and aging population in this country. Um, and we're talking about all kinds of, of, of uh, primary healthcare providers, from physician assistants to nurse practitioners to medical doctors. And um, evidence is that a, a large number of them are actually retiring, uh, and there, there are not enough being produced to meet the, uh, the needs of a growing population. Um, and when it comes to producing doctors, uh, the way our system has evolved, there are now not enough residency slots to f to fill all of the graduate the graduating uh, medical physicians. So, a certain amount of graduating medical doctors are left without any residency position to get into. Oh, every single state requires, in order to be licensed to practice as a physician, uh, they require that. A physician has uh, completed at least one year of a residency program. Uh, some states require more than that, but the majority require at least one year. Residency programs average between three and five years in length, depending on the specialty that you're going into a program in. And um, in, in most states, after you've completed that first year, you can then take part three of the standardized medical uh, national medical licensing exam. You have to pass parts one and two prior to graduating from med school. Um, and, and then in, in most states, after you've passed part three and taken one year, you're given a license to practice as what people refer to as a GP or general practitioner. A general practitioner is a doctor that's not specialized in anything in particular, and almost all of them engage in primary care, which is, you know, everyday bread and butter things like uh, preventative health care, vaccinations, uh, routine stitching of of you know lacerations and actually uh, providing for the common medical problems like uh, high blood pressure diabetes etc and then uh, if general practitioners get a case that's a little more complicated and is best seen by a specialist they'll refer to a specialist so uh that that's the way the regime has been but because of uh the the fact that there are not enough residency positions to to match with the amount of doctors coming out, anywhere from 7 to 10% of graduating medical students each year find themselves 
stuck where they haven't gotten into a residency program. So now here they are owing hundreds of thousands of dollars in medical school debt, and they can't uh, further their education in a residency program, and uh, they can't make a living. So, uh, and the way the, the the system is set up, this they have what's called a matching program where you, when you're in your senior year of medical school, you apply to match with a residency program, and it's a once a year thing. It's just like open enrollment would be, for example, with Medicare. So, if you don't match, uh, you basically have to wait till next year. So, an uh, an idea was uh, proposed uh, about five or six years ago. Uh, of uh, kind of going back to the apprentice model for for the doctors who find themselves in that situation. And uh, the term assistant physician or associate physician was proposed. Uh, The state of Missouri was the first state to actually do this. They have a large underserved rural population. And starting in 2017, doctors who found themselves in that situation where they graduated medical school, they passed the first two parts of the licensing exam, and they couldn't get into a residency program, were able to go as sort of an apprentice. They have to have a collaborating agreement with a licensed physician so that that person's always available uh, if there's any questions or or issues, uh, things that need to be discussed. And that actually collaborating doctor takes responsibility for any issues that may arise. And uh, then they could see patients. So here, when you're having a, a, a not enough healthcare practitioners available to meet the needs of, a, of the population, here's somebody you could put to work. And at the same time, they're, they, they're furthering their education and honing their skills. Who's against this? Uh, well, I, 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 I have thoughts. <laughs> well, you tell yeah, me. generally uh, entrenched incumbents have an issue with this. Uh, you'll hear arguments from, for example, the uh, uh, American Academy of Family Physicians and even from the American Medical Association saying, well, you know, you don't want to maybe let them do that for one year, but not any more than that, uh, because you don't know how how good a care a person with that level of experience can be giving. Now, to, I respond to that by saying, well, what's the difference between that and a person in a residency program? I, when, I, when you graduate medical school, you you are now working in a, in a residency program under the supervision of licensed professors or attendings, as we call them. They're not like staying with you side by side all day long. They check in with you periodically and they're available uh, and they have to approve sometimes major decisions that you have to make, in my case, because I was a surgical resident. So when I was a resident, I couldn't, if I decided a patient needed an operation, I had to run that by my attending and make sure the attending approved of that. And then I would do the operation, not always with the attending present, depending on the degree of complexity. There's no difference. I basically, I was an apprentice by another name. So uh, I, uh, and some, because of, of resistance by some uh, uh, entrenched incumbents, different states that have passed this law, there are about six or seven states now, and others in, in the pipeline, have, they vary in terms of the restrictions. The, the most liberal state is Missouri. In Missouri, you can renew that assistant physician uh, category of license. And you're a doctor, but, but you, you, you're a doctor practicing under the provisional license of assistant physician. You can renew that annually indefinitely. So if you decide you like, that arrangement, you there's nothing that stops you from 
doing that indefinitely. And most other states, they have, they allow you to renew it either once or twice. And some states, like it was recently passed into law in Idaho, they only allow it one year. At the end of the year, if you haven't found another residency spot, you're out of luck, tough luck. We gave you one year to help you bide your time. Um, there are people, and I'm among them, uh, who believe that actually this can and should provide an alternative pathway to full medical licensure, unrestricted licensure. For example, as I mentioned earlier about general practitioners, um, if one year of residency, and that's in any kind of residency, uh, if one year of residency can, plus passing part three of the medical licensing exam, qualifies you in the eyes of most states to be licensed as a GP, then why wouldn't, let's say, three or maybe four years of an assistant physicianship working under the supervision of a specialist in family medicine, plus passing part three of the U.S. medical license exam, also qualify you to be a GP? And I remember in my day, so I've been around a long time, so when I was back, when I was in my residency, uh, and this was in the 70s, the specialty of emergency medicine was in its infancy. So most doctors who worked in emergency rooms were not emergency specialists. They were doctors. Uh, they could have been family doctors or surgeons or whatever. And uh, residency programs paid very little. I completed my first year of my five-year program in general surgery. That qualified me. I took part three of the exam, and I got a license in Arizona as a GP, which allowed me to moonlight in the emergency room to make some extra money because I had a little baby in the house and, uh, you know, we had a growing family. And I did that for the next few years when I had some free time until finally after my fifth year of my surgical residency, I graduated the program and then took my specialty boards and became board certified as a general surgeon. And of course, I never had a reason to do that again. But here, I'm an example of how, you know, you, you could... You could, if I was able to do that, then why wouldn't a person who's been working under the supervision of a, you know, a board certified family physician in a, in a clinic for three years and passing part three exam, why wouldn't that be just as good? Um, there's resistance, of course, because that would upset the regime that's in place right now, where all the states kind of have this pretty standardized way of controlling the pipeline of healthcare practitioners into the workforce. And if there's an alternative pathway, I think some people see that as a threat uh, to, to their controlling the flow. Well, let's talk about the current regime, because the current regime is not is far from perfect. Um, people have to wait many months for even routine care. Uh, people have to, uh, in some areas, have to drive many, many miles to access uh, physician services. Um, so I, I guess what is the defense offered by the people, the the primary beneficiaries of the current regime to the system that we have now? Yeah. In fact, the national average wait time to see a, a primary care practitioner is 26 days now in the United States, and it's going to get worse. Um, the, 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 the people who are opposed to it are almost all like I say, people in the medical profession or in the licensing board field who say they're concerned about patient safety. Ironically, you never hear any patients or patient advocacy groups express that concern. And um, in the states where this law has been passed, 
um, they require that the uh, assistant physician make it known to the patient that the, that he or she is a, an assistant physician. They're, st they're still referred to as doctor because they have a medical degree, so they should be called doctor. But uh, they need to make the patient aware that they're in an apprentice role, which is no different than when you're seen in a hospital and the resident pays you a visit. Uh, and that resident, will be doctor so-and-so. And the resident is supposed to let you know, I'm the first year resident for, you know, uh, uh, taking care of you. So um, the, the the patients don't seem to raise objections. It's only the, uh, the the medical professionals that do. Well, what what then do they raise as an alternative to uh, liberalizing access to care from MDs uh, under the under these proposals? It's a different subject, but over the years, uh, most of the residency programs have become uh, dependent on money from the federal government. In the early days, most residency programs uh, were self had, had their own sources of funding. They would pay the salaries of the residents, and uh, of course, it was a symbiotic relationship. You know, the residents are providing work, and they're providing training. Uh, but starting with the Medicare program, Medicare started having a, 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 a portion of the Medicare funds go went towards funding residency slots. And over the years, the residency programs have become so dependent upon it that if they don't get federal funding for residency slots, they usually just don't open residency slots. And those, those slots have been capped for several years now. So the medical profession, the organized medicine, like the American Medical Association, are saying, we want the government to allot more taxpayer dollars to fund more residency slots. That's their answer. You mentioned the few handful of states that have this. Other states are moving ahead with uh, this kind of reform. Um, what is what has changed the minds of lawmakers in those states, or and, and what are those states? They tend to be states with uh, significant rural and underserved populations. The first one, like I say, was Missouri. Since that time, Arizona, Arkansas, um, Kansas, Utah, Louisiana and most recently Idaho. And uh, as we're making this, recording this broadcast, uh, this Tennessee legislature just approved an associate or assistant physician bill, and it's awaiting uh, the governor's signature. And it's, it's also, there's also a bill under, under uh, consideration in the Alabama legislature. So, but um, mo almost all of the states involved have, have uh, a real problem with underserved uh, communities, particularly in rural areas, but Increasingly, we're seeing this in in all areas, rural and urban. Uh, but that's that's been the governing factor. And in the different states, have different terms. Like I say, Missouri calls them assistant physicians, uh, but some states call them associate physicians. Uh, Tennessee, they're going to be calling them graduate physicians. In Louisiana and Idaho, they call them bridge physicians because it's seen as a bridge until they get their next opportunity to get into a residency program. But there's, it's the same concept, regardless of the uh, the term used. You said Missouri was the most liberal state with respect to uh, its policies on this. Why have other states not adopted that model uh, specifically? Um, basically, uh, resistance from the uh, organized medical groups, uh, uh, like I say, representing the family medicine, primary care, or the state medical association, uh, have persuaded legislators to uh, put more restrictions on the bill so that in many states you're allowed only one or two years uh, 
to be an assistant physician after which uh, you've had your chance and now you got to you're no longer able to do so. Missouri, on the other hand, has no limits on it. Uh, in Missouri, the legislator who brought this uh, to the onto the floor and really worked hard to get it passed is still practicing as an orthopedic surgeon in the state. Uh, and uh, he's no longer in the legislature, but he's uh, uh, perhaps his relationship uh, and his, the fact that he's a doctor and a legislator had a lot to do with the success in Missouri in making it a more liberal law. Um, it, it always helps in some of the states where this has been proposed. It's also proposed, for example, in Texas. In some of the states where it's proposed, by the, the legislature bringing it up for, for uh, consideration happens to also be a physician, and that helps. Jeff Singer is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.